Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. In 1972, a man named Laszlo Topp climbed over an altar rail in St. Peter's Basilica and attacked Michelangelo's sculpture, the Pieta, with a geologist's hammer while screaming, I am Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Some of the artist's documents have been missing since 1997, when they were stolen from the Vatican archives. And recently, in 2019, a 16th century wood painting attributed to Michelangelo, the Madonna del Silencio, was stolen from the Church of St. Ludgrus in East Flanders, Belgium. Michelangelo's art has inspired a lot of things, and theft and vandalism have been included in that over the centuries. His sculpture, Mask of Fawn, it would seem, is in good company. Mascafon may not be a piece that first pops to mind when you think of Michelangelo's portfolio of work, but it's an important one. It's believed to be the first known sculpture that he made from marble, and it's believed he made it when he was about 15 years old, give or take a year. More than 450 years after Michelangelo chiseled that fawn's face, Mascafon went missing, and it hasn't been seen since. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Michelangelo was an Italian sculptor, painter, and architect during the High Renaissance. He was born Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni in the Republic of Florence in the small village of Caprese on March 6, 1475. He became an artist's apprentice at the young age of 13, and demonstrating serious talent to those who saw his early art, by the age of 15, Michelangelo had caught the eye of Lorenzo de' Medici, also known as Lorenzo the Magnificent, who was one of Florence's most prominent citizens. Lorenzo was a magnate, diplomat, and politician, and he was perhaps the most influential patron of arts during the Italian Renaissance. He sponsored artists with names that we still know and you would recognize today, such as Botticelli. At the time he met the teenage Michelangelo, Lorenzo shared his home with sculptor Bertoldo di Giovanni. Bertoldo became Michelangelo's teacher, and for two years, from 1490 to 1492, Michelangelo also lived in the Medici Palace, where he was able to study the Medici art and sculpture collection, and that included ancient Roman statuary. Mask of a fawn, just a smidge over 10 inches or 26 centimeters in diameter, is believed to have been inspired by an ancient example of what the fawn, a half-human, half-goat creature from Greek mythology, 
might have looked like. Plus, two details added by the young artist, the nose and the open mouth of a laughing man. Michelangelo was a subtractive sculptor, which means that he used a mallet, chisels, and other tools to create a figure from a marble block. The process includes the removal of pieces of stone through carving, cutting, sanding, and other such techniques. Lorenzo praised young Michelangelo's work, but he would also constructively and good-naturedly criticize it. In regard to Mask of a Fawn, for instance, he pointed out details like, would a man or fawn of that age have all of his teeth? It's said, inspired by that observation, Michelangelo rectified the matter with a hasty or, well, you know, I mean, as hasty as one can be when you're working with marble, removal of one of the teeth from that laughing mouth. The teenage Michelangelo began his rise to prominence after an early failed attempt at art fraud, actually. The story goes like this. During his time at the Medici Palace, Michelangelo carved a now-lost Cupid statue in the style of the ancient Greeks. Lorenzo loved it and proposed an elaborate con as follows. Quote, If you were to prepare it, he requested of the young artist, so that it should appear to have been buried, I shall send it to Rome and it would pass for an antique, and you would sell it much more profitably. And that's how the sham ancient Cupid was sold to Cardinal Raffaele Riario under the guise of being a recently recovered piece. The cardinal, who then heard rumors of the scam, did get his money back, and despite the con, he was so impressed by Michelangelo's artistic talents that he invited him to Rome. The young artist left the Medici Palace to begin his career in Rome and remained there for the next several years during a time when the city was really turning into an influential creative hub. It's said that Michelangelo was so dedicated to his work that he would sculpt at night by attaching candles to his hat. And just as he did for Botticelli, Lorenzo sponsored Michelangelo as an artist. We are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor right now. When we return, we're going to talk about the Italian Renaissance, where Michelangelo fits in, and how he had way more valuable and well-known works to steal than the Mask of a Fawn. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, -day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older <laughs> in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their Brilliant Eye Brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie, and it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's thrivecosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com 
slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about this trifecta that led to art theft. Mask of a Fawn, the Second World War, and the Bargello National Museum. As his career and commissions grew, Michelangelo sculpted David from a block of marble that other artists had deemed unworkable. He created the Pieta to go into a side chapel at Old St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, now in St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, and painted frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, all before he was 30 years old. The success of the Pieta, which depicts the body of Jesus on the lap of his mother Mary from the Christian crucifixion story, garnered Michelangelo much larger and more profitable commissions. Upon the completion of David in 1504, his reputation was firmly established. He worked for nine consecutive Catholic popes, beginning in 1505 with Julius II, who ruled till 1513 and is considered a leading patron of the high Italian Renaissance, to Pius IV, who ruled the church in the Papal States from 1559 till 1565. The period of the Italian Renaissance developed after the fall of Rome around the year 476, when Roman Emperor Romulus was overthrown by Germanic leader Odoacer. It followed the period of the Middle Ages in Europe. The Italian Renaissance in visual arts is divided into two eras, early and high. Early Renaissance artists were influenced by philosophical concepts like humanism, and you can see that influence in the contributions of Brunelleschi in architecture or Donatello in sculpture. The High Renaissance is generally considered to have started when Leonardo da Vinci created The Last Supper. That was likely finished between 1495 and 1498, and that period lasted until around 1527. Centuries later, da Vinci, Raphael, and Michelangelo are considered the big three when we today talk about High Renaissance art and artists. We're talking about the Italian Renaissance, but the term is actually a French word meaning rebirth, and this was one. Various ancient sources were rediscovered during the period, including Greek and Roman sculpture, painting, decorative arts, and architecture. Artists revived ideas from these ancient Greek and Roman works with a renewed emphasis on naturalism and human anatomy. It was a rebirth of classical antiquity. And that's something you see as an influence on the ancient Greek look of Mask of a Fawn. The Mask of a Fawn never hit the level of fame as, say, Michelangelo's Statue of David. The fame it did garner, though, happened during the 16th century, after artist and author Giorgio Vasari mentioned it in his book, The Lives of Artists. We've mentioned before on the show, Vasari, very much in the mix with all of the art scene and really was very influential. His call-out of the small sculpture is, some believe, how Michelangelo landed on Lorenzo de' Medici's radar. There's not a lot about when or where the Mask of a Fawn may or may not have been exhibited. That is, until it arrives at the Bargello National Museum in Florence. 
ground was broken for the Bargello building in 1255. And since it's been the seat of the Council of Justice and the Judges of Ruata, it's been military barracks, and it's been a prison. Its name derives from the Palazzo del Bargello, also called Palazzo del Popolo. In 1865, the Bargello was officially inaugurated as the first national museum in a unified Italy. On the Italian historical timeline, formation of the modern Italian state began in 1861 with unification of most of the peninsula. The Bargello is most famous for its sculptures, actually, and is known for its collection of Renaissance works, including several by Michelangelo. Over the years, the museum acquired Bacchus, which was commissioned by Cardinal Raffaele Riario. Yes, that's the very same cardinal who was involved in the Michelangelo forgery back in the day at the Medici Palace. Nothing like a good con to kickstart your career, though, right? The museum also acquired Bust of Brutus, which depicts the man who plotted to kill the Roman emperor Julius Caesar, among others, by the artist. The Bust of Constanza Bonarelli by Bernini is housed there, as are works by Donatello. De La Robbia and Cellini. Objects were acquired and bequeathed to the museum from mainly the Medici collections, really, to be honest, and from private donations. It owns the largest collection of Italian sculptures dating from the 14th to the 16th century. We're going to take another break here for a word from our sponsor, and when we return, we will talk about when and where the Mask of a Fawn disappeared. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about who the Monuments Men were, and not the Hollywood version, and their role in the attempted recovery of the piece. Mask of a Fawn was owned by the Bargello, recorded as inventory item number 94 when it went missing in 1944 during the Second World War. But it wasn't taken from the museum. With the outbreak of the war in Italy in 1940, Italian art collections started to be transferred out of the cities and sent to various other sites for safekeeping. The Florentine collections were mostly stored in privately owned villas and palazzos in Tuscany. Sculpture from the Bargello, including Michelangelo's Mask of a Fawn, were moved on December 29, 1942, to the Castello di Poppi in the village of Poppi in Tuscany. This castle also held the painting collections of several other important galleries in Florence, including the Uffizi. Mask of Fawn was looted from the Castello di Poppi by the 305th Division troops attached to the 10th German Army. And it happened probably sometime between August 22nd and August 23rd, 1944. When, what time of day, was it day, was it night? No one can agree on that. The day of the plundering, German soldiers instructed the local citizens to stay inside, warning they would be detonating mines placed under the town's medieval gate. And with that proclamation, there were no witnesses to their crimes. Everyone locked themselves inside, and the Nazis took away crates of stolen art with them. By early morning, all trucks were gone. Mask of a Fawn had been loaded into a Nazi transport vehicle, and after a short stop in Forli, Italy, the sculpture and other works of art with it continued on with the division, and this appears to be the very last time it was seen. According to two German second lieutenants, it was all, quote, by order of the German high command, 
that it was only to save the works of art from being taken away by the Anglo-American troops, that the high command was extremely sorry that it had to leave so many pictures there, and that all trace of the episode must at once be removed, even to the point of walling up doors again. A cursory inspection by the Commissario Prefetizio of the Castello di Papi found broken walls, doors, and debris just everywhere. By that afternoon, the German troops, true to their word, they had detonated mines around town. The medieval gate was destroyed, as were some local homes, as well as the only road in and out of town. Let's talk about that for a minute. During the war, the Nazis were known for plundering priceless works of art throughout Europe, and that is something we have talked about during this season. The Nazis are counted among the biggest art thieves in history. In total, after the Second World War, the Allies recovered more than 6,600 paintings from the Althausie salt mines high in the Austrian Alps, where they stored stolen pieces. The Nazis confiscated art from everyone and everywhere, including from galleries in occupied countries and even from their own citizens. They looted major works of art, including one we've talked about, Van Eyck's Ghent altarpiece, as well as Vermeer's The Astronomer, Da Vinci's Lady with an Ermine, Van Gogh's The Painter on the Road to Tarascon, and Raphael's Portrait of a Young Man, all for Hitler's unrealized Führer Museum project. Like The Mask of a Fawn, the Van Gogh and Raphael pieces we just mentioned also remain missing. The Nazis ended up looting more than 20% of Europe's artwork, and not all of it has been recovered. Three weeks after the end of the Second World War, Monuments Man's 2nd Lieutenant Frederick Hart reached the Castello di Papi. His inspection revealed that while some pieces remained there, some were quite conspicuously absent. 198 works had been taken, including works by artists such as Rembrandt, Raphael, Rubens, yet some of the most important pieces of the Florentine collections had been left behind, including Botticelli's Birth of Venus. Hart stated on his report, quote, The pictures taken were of such importance that it is difficult to know which ones to choose as the principal losses. The Monuments, Fine Arts, and Archives section of the Allied Forces, known to us better as the Monuments Men, was a small corps of men and a few women who, before the war, had held careers as architects, historians, museum curators, educators. During the war, they found and recovered countless artworks stolen by the Nazi party. According to art scholar Lynn Nichols, quote, Without the Monuments Men, a lot of the most important treasures of European culture would be lost. They did an extraordinary amount of work protecting and securing these things. A report from January of 1946 concluded that three works of art taken from Castello de Poppi remained missing, and those were a portrait from the Uffizi Gallery and two sculptures from the Bargello National Museum, and that included Mask of a Fawn. The sculpture has not been seen since it was placed in a German army truck in 1944. But let's end on this. Some believe there's a bit of a twist to this story. Was the sculpture that was moved to Castello di Poppi for safety really the original mask of a fawn? Or did the Nazis plunder a forgery? And if they did get a copy of it, where is the original? Those questions arise thanks to a lengthy debate 
It started in the 19th century about whether the mask at the Bargello was an original or a copy. And the question came up because documentation about the piece they had and its provenance specifically mentioned multiple copies of it. That debate has actually continued into the 21st century. It's one of those things that there have been times where people are like, it's settled, we've all decided. And then someone goes, "Ah, I'm not so sure. It is not, by the way, the only artwork that some historians believe to be a Michelangelo and others doubt. Another Pietà, the Palestrina Pietà, similarly is debated regarding its attribution to Michelangelo. And while the Pietà Palestrina is safe and sound in the Galleria dell'Accademia in Florence, the Mask of Afan is lost, so we will likely never know. Heist Hooch? We can soothe our broken hearts with Heist Hooch. We've touched on it in a few episodes, the Monuments Men and their work and the Nazi, excuse me, plundering in the Second World War. And mostly, it's upsetting to talk about and to talk about those that have not been recovered. We haven't talked a lot, too, about pieces of art from other parts of the world that were either plundered, destroyed, disregarded during, like, eras of colonialism. Right. Because there isn't a lot of documentation, and what there is is probably not translated into English, so we have access to it, or it's not a place we would have access to it. And so I feel like there's so much art that we have lost in the world that we don't even know about. Breaks my heart. I need to drink and think it over. Let's have a drink. This drink is in honor of Michelangelo, but also all of the art we have lost around the world. And it's called Conspicuously Absent. (laughs) Nicely, Nicely titled. I wanted to link it to Michelangelo and his origin, similar to the way I've done some others this season. And when I think of Tuscany, I wanted to think of things that grow in Tuscany. I was lucky enough to spend some time there this year. Mm -hmm. And the thing that always jumped out to me was the smell of rosemary everywhere. Absolutely. And that's actually... I love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I thought that when when I first went to Tuscany, Paris, my first time there, I thought I was just overwhelmed by the loveliest smell of lavender in in so many places. The smell sticks with you. So I don't... I'm not surprised. So I'm doing a little interesting thing here, and we are starting with rosemary. I would get a nice big sprig of rosemary, and I like to go ahead and strip the leaves off of it into my shaker. Like, I don't put the whole sprig in there. I just get the leaves because you really want that oil from Mm -hmm. them and that unique and beautiful aroma. And then you're going to take like a small lime and you're going to cut it into eight sections, toss it in there with it. And then pour in three quarters of an ounce to an ounce, if you like it sweeter, of simple syrup. And you're going to muddle these things together. And like in muddling with the full lime in there instead of just lime juice, you also get some more acidity from the, the rind of the lime. Don't worry, all of these bits will be strained out of your cocktail, but they come together and you get a nice little thing going on here. Once you have muddled that together, you basically want to make sure you crush every piece of lime so that you've gotten the juice out and then muddle Mm -hmm. just a little more. And then you're going to add two ounces of gin and one egg white. Um, It's an egg white drink. It's an egg white drink. (laughs) I also, uh, I think I've mentioned it on the show before. And if I am being repetitive, I apologize. 
For people that, I have talked to a number of people who don't like using raw egg white, but you can use pasteurized egg white like that you get at the grocery store. But if you do, just know you got to do more shaking of it. Or what I usually do is I pre-froth it with a frother Mm -hmm. or I shake it on its own before I even add it to the drink for shaking just to get it aerated and get it nice and fluffy. And then you put it in there, do a dry shake. So don't add ice. Shakey, shake, 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 shake. You're like, oh, my arm's tired. Keep shaking. You really want this one to get a lot of volume in that egg. And then you can put a little bit of ice in there and shake it just a little bit more. You're going to double strain it. So you use like your Hawthorne strainer to strain it out of the thing through a mesh strainer into your pre-chilled glass. And I would do this without ice. Just double strain that into there. Hit it with a little garnish of rosemary. I like to rub the rosemary around the rim of the glass before I drop it in. So you get the oils that you taste, but you also get a beautiful aroma as you're sipping. And to me, it feels very much like Tuscany. That is the conspicuously absent. Oh boy, do I have some thoughts on the mocktail. Because (laughs) it's one of those things we've run up against before on the show that I... Gin is so hard to substitute for. You can absolutely buy a zero-proof gin. They make those. There are more and more zero-proof spirits available all the time. But I did a little experiment, and I was pretty happy with what I got, which is that I took a thing I normally hate, which is tonic water, and I let it go flat. I don't like tonic water. There's a weird flavor to it that is not for me. It does have a flavor, but I didn't know that. (laughs) I went through a gin and tonic phase when I was young, and now I don't know how because I do not like it. <laughs> my, I don't know if my palate has changed oh, or, yeah. but I just, no, thank you. But if you take tonic water and you let it go flat, and then you add a little bit of fresh squeezed grapefruit juice, and you can even seize, I put a little black pepper in there and mix it all together and strain that out so the pepper doesn't stay with mm-hmm. it. You get an interesting flavor fluid that has some of the characteristics of gin. And if you try this, highly recommend play with your seasoning on it and do, you know, all kinds of different Mm -hmm. things. You could do it with like an orange instead of a grapefruit and get a very different flavor, a lemon juice, any citrus in there. You could also try, you know, like throw another fruit in there if you want to make it a little fruitier and give it more of that like floral. You could even soak like a a lavender in there Mm -hmm. or um, culinary rosebuds, whatever, and just You're flavoring that tonic in a way that gives you your own zero-proof spirit. It's not going to be exactly like gin, but it's very interesting in its own Mm -hmm. right. You basically steeped it in an interesting thing. So you strain that all off and you make it otherwise exactly the same, but you just use that in lieu of the gin. And it comes out pretty nicely, I have to say. I was like, oh, this is, (laughs) it's a little, it was a little brighter for me than the gin-based one. Even though there's a lot of lime in it already, the citrus element popped out a little bit more with the one that I had done that little experiment with. So if you do a similar experiment or if you refine it in a way that is extra yummy, please let us know. Just uh, find us on Mm -hmm. Twitter. Use that hashtag Criminalia. We'll find it. That is the conspicuously absent Absinthe? Absinthe. Conspicuously absent. That's a totally different drink. Completely. (laughs) That is the conspicuously absent, which is, of course, a toast to all of the art that we unfortunately have lost in the world, but especially Mask of a Fawn. I hope that if you have spent this time with us, you don't feel lost in the world. 
But maybe you appreciate art more than ever. That would make me super happy. We are so grateful to have you here. We'll be right back here again next week to talk about art a little bit more. Probably a little more who's Heitch. Probably. Heist Hooch. Heist Hooch. I was like, who's Heitch? What is that? (laughs) Talk a little bit more about Heist Hooch as well. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.